Good morning, everybody. See you. We're in a series called Thriving Under Pressure, which is about Joseph. It's a fascinating story. Uh, I hope that some of you have gotten so intrigued by it that if you're not familiar with it, that you've gone on ahead and, and read it through. It's in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. It starts in chapter 37. It just goes straight to the end, chapter 50. I don't know. It takes you 15 minutes to read, and it's just a really fascinating story. I'm going to read. We're, we're up to chapter 39 in the story of Joseph today. And what I want to do is just read some of the verses of this story. We're catching back up with his life. He has a very dysfunctional family, extremely. You think your family's dysfunctional. Uh, This guy's family's very dysfunctional. His brothers, 10 of his brothers sell him into slavery. And he is now down in Egypt where he is a slave. And I'm going to pick up the story there. We'll see what happens to him, okay? The title of this message today is The Power of pain, the power of pain. So here's what it says, Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites. They're the traders that brought, bought him from his brothers who had taken them there. This is very unusual right here in verse number two. All right, you got to imagine his family has forsaken him. They've sold him into slavery, right? And here he is now a slave in Egypt. He had been the crowned prince of his father, the chief of his home. And then verse number two says this, the Lord was with Joseph. That's a strange verse to read at this moment. You'd think, oh my goodness, this is the very time you feel like God has forsaken you. And yet it says the Lord is with Joseph. And it doesn't just say it once. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw, what does it say the second time? The Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Joseph found favor in the eyes, in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything that he had owned. First of all, Potiphar. Let's get his position here real quick. Potiphar's position is that he's like the head of all the Egyptian military. And when it says that Joseph, after a while, because God is with him, gives him success, becomes his attendant, it's just not like he's anybody else in the house. He's like second man in command of Potiphar's house. So Potiphar has this huge position, has a huge estate, right? And here we see that Joseph becomes his second. So uh, for those of you who are familiar with the Bible... We're told that Moses' attendant was Joshua, and Joshua becomes the leader after Moses dies. Well, what you have here is, is that Joseph is put in this huge, powerful position. It didn't happen overnight. Joseph's in Egypt for 13 years before he rises to be prime minister. So this took a little bit of time picking the story up. Here's where things get a little dicey. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. I need you to know this. The Bible hardly ever, never, ever comments on anybody's looks. This guy, what did this guy look like? For the Bible never to comment on anybody's looks, what exactly? So I got some pictures for you. Maybe you could help me. I don't know. What do you think he looked like? Do you think he looked like this guy on the screen? (laughs) Does anybody think Joseph looked like Chris Hemsworth? Anybody? No. One person said yes, but did not raise their hand over here. Do you think that he looked like this guy? Do you think Joseph looked like that guy? Was he that good? Absolutely not. He did not look like that guy. Nobody's ever... How about about Denzel? Did he look like Denzel? One person clapped their hands over there. We have one last person. Did he look like this guy? Hugh Jackman. Crickets. All right. 
Obviously, you don't think any of those guys were good looking, or you're sitting next to somebody that you're afraid to express interest in. I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing about uh, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman just came out. We can show his picture there uh, a little bit more. Uh, maybe we'll keep the uh, women engaged. Uh, but uh, this guy just came out with an article. Uh, he's uh, somewhat of an outspoken Christian. And he was, when he was young, he was actually at what he called a tent meeting, a tent meeting in Australia, and God gave him, he says, a premonition, a dream that he would be an actor. He would be on stage, which is what he does today. And what he said in this article, actually, Jackman says is, is that he does a lot of Broadway shows. Before he steps on the stage, this really coincides well with us on Dependence, he says he says to God before he steps on stage, um, this gift is yours, I'm laying this down to you, I'm surrendering my talent to you, and I want you to use this uh, in any way you see fit, God. We see the same thing that, uh, talking about baseball, that Mariano Rivera, one of the greatest, if not the greatest closer of all time, before he steps onto the mound, he always bows his head and he surrenders his gift, dependent upon God. Isn't that interesting? Well, let's continue on the story because uh, we're not through with it. So this is what it says. Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. I need to tell you one thing about that phrase where she says, come to bed with me. Basically, the Hebrew is much more demanding. It's a much more powerful statement. She basically says, sex now. Now that, you know, that's not nice, you know? No man, no good-looking man wants to be treated as if he's a, just a pretty face, you know? But this is, uh, this is what she does. I'm sure he's hurt by it. So here's how it continues. Uh, he says no, refuses, uh, even goes to say that he refused to even be around her. Uh, he recognized the wisdom that after a while he would maybe get worn down, so he wouldn't even want to be around her. Uh, so eventually she traps him and he runs out of the house. The Apostle Paul does a play on this in 1 Corinthians where it says for us to flee, to run away from sexual temptation. The Bible doesn't tell us to run away from anything except for one thing, sexual temptation. Isn't that interesting? So he flees out of the house. She grabs his coat. Let's pick it up. She kept his coat or cloak beside her until the master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. Oh, no, no, no. This is very odd. You don't put somebody in prison in a position like Potiphar has who has done this to your wife. You kill them. Very slow, painful death. Very, very odd that he puts him in prison. So you have to wonder, who is he really mad at in this situation? Also, there's some pretty strong indication that Potiphar, a part of his position, is he's over top of this special prison. This isn't just any prison. This is a prison where Pharaoh's officials go. So this is like the country club prison, so to speak. Oh, I'm sure it wasn't a country club, okay? So this is where he goes. Let's finish the story out. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness. We're, we're ending this chapter the same way we began it. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention 
to anything under Joseph's care. The same thing that Potiphar did, no attention whatsoever. Because why, everybody? Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Uh, there is, I've said this for the past number of weeks, history just keeps repeating itself in the story of Joseph over and over and over again. Family, same thing that you see one family member do. So if a, so if a father is showing favoritism to a son or kids or whatever, you see that that kid then plays favoritism and favoritism. Here's another place where history repeats itself. So when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, what did they take back to the father is evidence that he had been killed. Anybody remember? Just shout it right out. The cloak, his robe, exactly. So what is used here as evidence once again? Exactly. History just repeats itself, and you'll see this. There's a million places that it does. Not a million, but a lot of places that it does. Here's the thing. I want you to think about this. The number one reason, everybody, that people say that they don't believe in God, the number one reason that people say that they do not believe in God is pain and suffering. The number one reason that people say they don't believe in God is pain and suffering. Steve Jobs. Uh, if anybody's familiar with Steve Jobs' life or read the book about Steve Jobs, then you know this. You know that he attended church. I believe he attended a Lutheran church as a child. And as he got older, he began to ask questions. And one day he asked the pastor there a question, and it had to do with pain and suffering. He did not like the answer. He said, that's it, I don't believe in God. And he walked away. So we want to be very delicate here. Uh, what I'm going to talk about uh, this morning, I'm not going to get into the depths. This is a very complicated issue. Pain and suffering is extremely complicated. Uh, we would need to spend many, many, many messages talking about this. So I understand it's very extremely delicate and it's going to touch some nerves here. So I need you to know I'm not going to go to the depths of it today. Instead, I just really feel like God wants us to talk about some practical things that I think almost all of us in this room can agree to. Whether you believe in God or you don't, some real practical things. So the number one reason, everybody, that people say that they don't believe in God is because pain and suffering. Now, watch this. What is the number one reason that people say that they grew in the relationship with God? Pain and suffering. Isn't that interesting? So there's some real practical things that I would like to look at this morning in this message entitled The Power of Pain. Ernest Hemingway said this, Sooner or later the world breaks everyone, and those who are broken are strongest in the broken places. Suffering is a very complicated thing. It's a very difficult subject to talk about. Just want to say one thing before we get into some practical stuff here. Jesus' disciples one day with Jesus, they're walking along, they see a man. Somehow they know he's been born blind. I don't know, but we're not given that background. They simply say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, why has this man been born blind? Who sinned? Did this man sin or did his parents sin? Is that why he's been born blind? God, you sent this suffering and pain in his life because he sinned. That's what's behind the question. And Jesus says, neither. That's not part of the answer. The answer is, who sinned? And he says, neither. And then he basically says, you're looking to blame someone. His response lets us know that suffering and pain, very complicated. And one of the problems, I believe, that many people walk away from belief in God, belief in Jesus, whatever, is because sometimes people who are believers in God give very simple answers, very pat answers to a very difficult question. There's no way I'm going to begin to do that today. It's very difficult. So we want to handle this on a larger level. Even look at this story between Joseph and what we covered two weeks ago in Judah. 
You think about this here. Joseph is tempted. Oh my gosh. Joseph is tempted every day. Now you, I'm imagining, I've never seen Potiphar's wife, but I'm imagining because of his position, she was fairly smoking hot. All right. Just, all right. She's after him every day, every day. And he does the right thing. As far as we know, to a T, perfect. And what happens to him for doing the right thing, everybody? He doesn't sin. What happens? He goes to prison. He goes from the frying pan into the fire. It gets worse. Now contrast that to Judah. What happens to Judah? Did Tamar have to tempt him every day? No, all she had to do was sit in one place on the roadside. He comes walking by. Bingo. You know, he's, he's sinning all over the place, right? Terrible thing. And what happens to Judah? Nothing. He doesn't get sold into slavery. He doesn't go to prison. Nothing happens. So how can you figure that out? It's a very complicated issue, everybody. So here we have Joseph. One other thing. Is God sending pain and suffering to our life? That conversation that Jesus Christ has with his disciples is basically him saying, you know, hey, look, this is a very complicated issue. Not saying that Jesus is saying, you are looking for somebody to blame here, saying that he deserved it, his parents deserved it, and because they sinned, God has sent it. We have to be very careful when we're saying God is sending pain and suffering to people's lives, particularly from a number of scriptures, John chapter 9 being one of those. I want to say this. Some people think that God is sending all kinds of suffering and pain into people's, in people's lives, and I think that we need to be very, very careful with that and that everything is God's will. I always thought to myself, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that is is in heaven. Why, if everything that happens on the planet is God's will, is Jesus encouraging us to pray, pray that his will would be done? Also, just one other thought before we get really practical here. Uh, Jesus is indicating in John 9 and in other places in Scripture, that we live in a very broken world, a very, very, very broken world, a world that is filled with a tremendous amount of pain. I'm not sure that God needs to add to the suffering and pain in order to get us where we, he wants us to go. Like, there's already enough for him to use. I want to show you a picture on the screen here. Who recognizes these guys? Okay, very popular right now. Who knows the story? Time Magazine just did a piece. When is Marty McFly going to return? October 21st, 2015. Who wins the World Series? You can be a little more enthusiastic. It's okay. It's a tough subject today. The Cubs win. Who just made the playoffs? The Cubs did. Cubs fans are just elated. I mean, this is... Just, we'll, we'll grab onto anything, right? 1945, what happened in 1945, baseball fans? Goodness gracious. Come on. Nobody likes baseball around here. The curse of the goat, right? So you had this guy who brought a goat to the stadium, right, at Wrigley Field. And Mr. Wrigley says, the goat stinks. Take the goat out. The guy walks out. He says, he pronounces this curse over top of the team. They have never won since. And there's been some odd things that have happened along the way. Not saying I believe in curses. I'm just saying. Can we see the picture one more time, Dan? What I do want to draw your attention to here is this little time machine, which is actually a DeLorean motor car, which no longer exists because I think it was probably trash. But uh, this is a little time machine. And when the guy, Doc Brown, goes into the future, he comes back to pick up Marty and they make the trip to, Octo to October of 2015. When he comes back, he's throwing stuff into the thing that m makes this, whatever, the fusion generator. 
Mr. Fusion, flux capacitor, yes. Okay, what does he throw, what does he throw into it to make it have power? Does anybody? Garbage. 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 Listen, this is a fact. God uses all the garbage. He doesn't have to add more garbage. God uses all the garbage in the world to move us. Just like that vehicle is moved by garbage. God actually uses garbage in the world to move us around these bases, to shape our character, to shape our community, and to shape our competency. God uses garbage to do that. And this is what I want to talk with us about this morning. God is like this great artist. You seen an artist who can make a masterpiece out of garbage? You ever seen those and they sell for all kinds of money? It's insane. I would never buy it. But the idea is this. There are some people who can take garbage and make a masterpiece. God can take the garbage in this world. So some of you are sitting here, you've suffered pain or you've looked at what other people have suffered and you're like, I can't, how is that right? It's wrong. I think we'd all have to admit, though, that God uses garbage to move us and to shape our character. And that's the point I really want to make this morning. God uses our pain. So Romans chapter 5, it's on your bulletin or it's on the screen behind me. There is a chain reaction of events here that if we depend upon God, if we allow God to move us, he will do something in our lives. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance Character, character, hope. One, two, three. Perseverance, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, difficult subject today, painful subject today. Lord, help us. Give us some understanding, Lord, of this very painful and difficult subject. Lord, there's so many people in this world that say they no longer believe in you because of pain. Um, be with us today. Help us today. We need you. Just like you're with Joseph over and over and again. God, you're with him. You're with him. You're with him. Please be with us. Please be with each one of us in a special way. In Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're going to dig down into those three words, kind of the etymology of those three words, because actually it's very important. So the first of all, the first word is perseverance. So suffering produces perseverance, and that word means focus means focus. The deeper meaning of that word in Greek means to focus on something. So what's being said here is that pain causes us to focus, to leave everything else behind. George MacDonald said the first thing in all progress is to leave something behind. So if I'm playing baseball, I have to leave everybody behind in the dugout, and I come here, it's just me and God standing here, right? And I've got to swing, hit the ball, and then I move forward. I can't bring my manager up with me. I can't bring my friends up with me to stand around me and encourage. I'm standing here by my, I have to leave something behind. And part of what we have to leave behind is things that are not God's priorities. What we've been saying is God's priorities is, is to shape our character, to shape our community, and to shape our competency. And today we're going to really focus on character because God wants to shape our character. We have to leave something behind. We have to focus. What does every little league coach say? All little league coaches have all kinds of ideas of how you you can be a better baseball player, but they all agree on one thing. Watch the what? Ball. They're in total agreement about that. Number one skill needed in baseball, watch the ball. I was reading on a website this past week for coaches, coaches at all different levels. And they say, you know what? We've had tall players. We've had short players. We've had fast players. We've had slow players, but we haven't had any blind players because 
you have to watch the ball. You have to focus on the ball. And what pain does is it causes us to focus. It's like going on a missions trip. I've been on so many missions trips, and I've seen, I've seen what happens, that rhythm, that cycle in people's lives. They leave here. They're not necessarily so happy about their lives. They're upset that they don't have the latest Apple product, and their life stinks, and why isn't this and that, all that. They go, and they see tremendous suffering and pain. They come back and say, I don't need the latest Apple product. I am so happy. My life is so good. All of a sudden, my priorities have become clear, and I understand what is really, really important in life. It clears away. Pain reveals the foolishness of temporary things. Now, I want to talk to you about an article that the Washingtonian Magazine, it just did this celebration of uh, 50, the 50th anniversary, and there's a story in here. It's about um, one of, well, actually, it is voted the number one most shocking event that ever took place in sports history in our nation. Does anybody know what it is? The number one, exactly. It happened right here, right here in this city. So let's look at the picture, please. There it is. That's it right before. And if anybody has ever seen that happen before, you know what's getting ready to happen. We're not going to roll the tape. Money, it was Monday Night Football 30 years ago, right here at RFK Stadium. Monday Night Football 30. And what's getting ready to happen, and his leg is getting ready to get snapped by number 56, Lawrence Taylor, who is going to snap it. He snaps it. People said it sounded like a, like a gunshot went off at RFK Stadium. It was absolutely horrendous, deathly quiet over RFK Stadium. You know, they, they uh, took Joe off the field and they took him over here to Arlington Hospital and Washingtonian correctly names it. No true Washingtonian, no true Arlingtonian is ever going to call Arlington Hospital, Virginia Hospital Center. Does anybody, does anybody know what I'm talking about? There's no way. If you're an Arlingtonian, you call it Arlington Hospital. They took him right, over, right down the street here to Arlington Hospital and, uh, and, and, and they operated on him. So I want to, there's a couple interesting things about this. Uh, let's see the next picture of uh, Lawrence Taylor. There he is. There's the guy who snapped his leg. Uh, so he's in the hospital the very next morning. It says, the next morning, my nurse comes in and says, Mr. Theisman, Mr. Taylor is on the phone. Would you like to speak with him? I said, give me the phone. LT, is that you? He says, yeah, Joe, how you doing? I said, not very well. He says, why? I said, well, you broke both bones in my leg. He said, Joe, you've got to understand something. I don't do things halfway. That's, that, is what, that is what Lawrence Taylor said to him the very next morning. Now, pain. Pain causes us to focus. It drops things, temporary things out of the way, and it helps us. Whether you believe in God or not, here we go. It helps us to focus on what is really real, what's true, what can we count on. Joe Theismann. This is after he gets out of the hospital, right? I remember being on crutches and going into the practice facility and walking up to my locker. Now, for 11 and a half years, that locker was a home for me. I had my chin strap there, my family pictures, my mementos, things the fans sent me. They're all up there. And sitting in my locker was the new backup quarterback, Steve Bartowski. My 11 and a half years as a Washington Redskin were in a cardboard box in the equipment room. It was devastating. Ready for this? Everything you thought you were is gone. See, this is, this is what pain does. Like it or not, this is what it does. It strips away things that really don't matter. Now, I'm going to show you one last picture. Let's put it up there, Dan. Who is that? Dexter Manley. Dexter Manley. Dexter Manley, and he'll say it in this article, is basically illiterate. 
I don't know how he graduated from Oklahoma State University. Some of you people from Oklahoma are going to have to tell us why. But he's, fun he's, 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 he's functionally alert. This is what he says. Dexter Manley, Redskins defensive end, said, When I saw Joe Theismann go down, I was filled with trepidation. I thought, this could happen to me. What am I going to fall back on? At the time, I was functionally illiterate, and I was snorting cocaine. When I first came to the Redskins Park as a rookie, I used to walk around with a copy of the Wall Street Journal. I couldn't read it. I was emulating what I wanted to be. It took me a long time to learn the plays, and if the coaches implemented something new, they would have to walk me through it so I could learn it. Watching Joe Theismann go down, it made me realize I needed help. After the season, I checked into a rehabilitation program, and that winter I began taking reading classes at the Lab School of Washington. When the staff told me I was on a second-grade reading level, I just cried and cried. But I studied at the Lab School from 86 to 91, and I continued taking classes when I left the Redskins. Now I can read the Washington Post. I have a job, and as of June 17th, I've been nine years clean from drugs. Ready for this, everybody? If it wasn't for Joe Theismann, I would have never addressed my issues. I'm sorry he had the injury, but it brought on a whole new horizon for me. Look, I don't like pain. I'm not advocating that anybody prays that you go through pain. I'm not advocating that anybody is a masochist, but I think we all have to agree on a very, very practical level that it shapes our character. And what I'm suggesting to you today is that when you're in the midst of pain and suffering, that you say to God, God, would you help to shape my character? Would you move me closer to you and being the person that you want me to be? Would you get God involved in your suffering and pain? Because pain, God uses it to move us forward and to shape our character and who we are. Pain moves us closer to becoming the person that God has created us to be. First point. Second point. So it says, perseverance, character. Perseverance, focus, character. Here's what it means. It means test. The word character here, the etymology of the word, the deeper meaning of the word in Greek means that our lives are tested. And what I mean by that test is like an experience, like an experience. We have to go through something. So we talk about teams they are going into the playoffs in the MLB right now, and you have a team. Maybe they skated all the way into the playoffs, and you'd say that team is what? Un... little feedback today because it's such a tough subject. Just look. That team is un tested exactly and if a team has had a hard time getting to playoff you say oh man that team has really been tested and what does that mean they had an experience they've gone through an experience they've they, they've understood through the experience they've been through right you can't just tell joseph that he's selfish arrogant or a liar you can't just tell him that hey joseph you know what you did to your brothers and how you had no character buddy yeah you, know you went and you made a bad report and you lied about them hey you got to clean up your act because you're going to become prime minister of egypt and he'll say oh okay man i'm gonna change right okay I'm, I'm, I'm good i'll change joseph you're arrogant you're selfish you're a liar oh yeah okay i got it you can't tell him that you have to show him that and so you're wondering okay god why don't you just come along and just tell me where i need to clean my life up with and i'll clean my life up because we won't do it we have to be shown through experience you can't just tell joseph these things you have to show him. he has we have to have the experience we must be tested the reality is everybody that human beings me you we have an unlimited capacity for self-deception 
unlimited. We see everybody else's problems. We see everybody else's lies and faults, but we don't see our own. God can't just come along and say, hey, you know, you got this problem, Joseph. You know, you have no character. God actually has to show him through experience that his character needs to be changed. And this is what happens to Joseph's life. Let me give you a couple examples. They asked 800,000, 800,000 high school students, we want you to rate yourself. Are you above average or below average on social skills? Right. 800,000. Practically speaking, it should have been 50-50. Above or below? Above, right? Right? We all agree. Should be 50-50. You know what it was? You know how many rated themselves? What percentage of high school students rated themselves below average on social skills? Take a guess. 10? 12? Zero. Zero percent. 25% of them rated themselves in the top 1% of all high school students. We have an unlimited capacity for self-deception, okay? Well, we might say, well, they're young. They're not smart enough yet. They don't know. Give them some time. All right, let's talk about college professors. They're the smartest people in the country, right? Our college professors. We all love our college professors. They're awesome. They ask college professors, I need you to rate yourself on teaching. Where are you with teaching? You know what college professors say? 88% of college professors rated themselves above. It should be 50-50. 88% said, I'm above average when it comes to teaching. Check this out. 25% rated themselves as truly exceptional. Did you have a truly exceptional college? Did you, did you, were you so lucky to get one of the truly exceptional ones? You might say, okay, well, you know, educators and high school students. What else? Well, how about this? Let's talk about preachers for a second. They ask preachers, a bunch of preachers, how do you rate yourself on preaching? You know what? 90% of preachers said they're way above average in preaching. I would have never done that. We have an unlimited capacity for self-deception. They ask people, who's getting to heaven? U.S. News and World Report did this. Who is getting to heaven? They asked people to fill out this survey, complete this whole survey. Who is getting to heaven? And they, people said, Michael Jordan, 65% chance. 65%. Oprah Winfrey has a 66% chance of getting to heaven. How about Mother Teresa? Who wants to take a guess on the number of Mother Teresa? Anybody? What per- 100? Not 100, sorry. You all love Mother Teresa. She has a 79% chance of getting there. Only one person, take a guess, what's the one person that beat Mother Teresa? Who, who is it? Billy Graham? Joel, Joel Osteen. We have a Joel Osteen fan in the house. Awesome. I wonder if he would rate himself as above average preacher. Okay. Who? Who beat Mother Teresa? You did. 87%. Number one winner is the person completing the survey. So if I come, God comes along to you and says, hey, 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 there's some things in your character when you come, oh, yeah, I got that. Yes, that's, yeah, okay, I understand. It should be easy because it's really not that bad. Hey, Joseph, you're a liar. Here's the thing, everybody. Joseph's going to become prime minister. What if God didn't take Joseph through all that pain and suffering? Would you be happy that he's prime minister? He wouldn't have saved a nation. He would have enslaved a nation. So we might not be happy about the suffering and pain we're going through, but you know what? Who is really happy about it? Everybody else but you. We are thrilled that you're going through it. You know why? Because God uses it to shape your character and make you a better person, make you a more selfless person. One of the most common reactions to deep grief, suffering, and pain is that we have a deeper appreciation for people. Joseph had no appreciation for people by the way he treated his brothers. All he wanted to do was get to the top. And if God didn't take him through this, if he didn't experience it, if he wasn't tested, same as us, 
If he wasn't tested, he would have enslaved a nation, never saved a nation. You think about President Lincoln. President Lincoln is often considered the greatest American president we've ever had. He went through terrible suffering and pain. Is there a connection between the two? Is there a connection between the two? Very practically speaking, this is what happens in our lives. Now, we have to, we have to see it. We have to go through it. Let's run, that, let's run that videotape. Dan, let's take a look at this. Now, so Washington Naturals here. Okay. So you could, you could say to these guys before this incident, you could say, hey, guys, I think you have a problem with each other. Uh, I think maybe you have some attitude issues that maybe we need to clean up. But you know what is really effective is you actually play them the videotape. You know what I'm saying? You actually show them there's some things that you... And God does... Doesn't God do that in your own life? Doesn't God run you through certain highlights of your life, certain clips? Recently, somebody in my house left our front door open and a bird flew in. I have lots of issues. I like things to be really clean and uh, not good with animals in the house. I'm putting up with one animal already in the house. But somebody left the door open and a bird flew in. And then somebody in the house had this brilliant idea. They, 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 they called their dog Butterscotch. They said, Butterscotch, come get the bird out of the house. So I'm running around with a broom, desperately trying to get the bird out before the bird goes to the bathroom all over the house, right? And I'm freaking out, right? I'm running around with a broom, and somebody in the house says, Butterscotch, come. So now I've got the dog. Don't hurt the dog. And I'm running trying to get the dog. And I just, oh my gosh, I was just losing it. And you better believe the, the bird went to the bathroom in the house. Somebody said, somebody eventually, because we worked at this for a long time, somebody said, hey, let's just, we had somewhere to go, just leave the bird in the house, and when we come back, we'll get it out. There ain't no way that's happening, everybody. I mean, my goodness, I'll be late for your funeral and your wedding and everything else. I'm getting the bird out of the house. Well, eventually, we uh, got the bird out of the house, and what I realized going through that experience is God showed me how childish I am. Uh, God showed me how selfish I am. God showed me how impatient I am, Right? God takes us through experiences. He could say, hey, John, you're selfish. I was like, yeah, I know. Not as bad as other people, God, but yes, I know. Or God could actually take me through situations and use the garbage of life to move me to first base and shape my character. Much more effective. It's much, much more effective. God moves us. One last thing, we're going to do the last point. Look at Hebrews 12, 11. Very important. I'm not going to go out down deeply into this verse. I just want to show you one thing. I want to remind you of something because some of you are going through some tough times right now. So look what it says. This, this is a very important verse. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been, notice what I've underlined there, trained by it. That word trained in the Greek means gymnasium. Same word that we get for gymnasium. So when you're going through a tough time, when God is shaping your character over here, oh, God, you know, just use, oh, I'm dependent, you know, cut everything away, God, you, it's all you. And then God begins to do that. God begins to work on you. And God is using all the garbage of life. He doesn't have to produce more garbage. There's enough garbage in life. He's using the garbage of life to shape your character. And now you're being trained. It's the word for gymnasium. So tell me this. When you go to the gymnasium, which I know you do probably three or four times a week, and you're working out, man, you're lifting, you're lifting. Do you feel stronger the more you lift? Like you're there, right? You're lifting. Are you feeling, oh, man, I'm getting stronger. Oh, my gosh. I'm getting... No, you don't. If you do, there's a problem with your workout. 
what happens as you lift, you keep getting weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. And hopefully when you walk out of the gym, you're not like jumping up and down. If you are, you didn't have a very good workout. You should walk out of the gym like, oh my gosh, man, I can't. You know what? Four, five, six, seven months from now, you'll be stronger. But right then while you're being trained, you're feeling weaker. And some of you like, oh, God shaped me. And all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I'm feeling worse than ever. How many people in this room, don't raise your hand, would say, oh, yes, I asked for God to move in my life, and all of a sudden I started realizing I'm impatient or I'm childish or I'm selfish. How many of us would say, I'm, it's getting worse? That's training. That's natural. That's what happens. And some of you feel that way this morning, and you need to know you're being trained. Stick with it. Keep working out because God is shaping your character and God is mo- we, the reason we put this here at first plate first base is because God is very 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 interested in shaping people's character that's how he makes a difference in people's community that's how Joseph saves an entire nation okay we're to the last point music team's going to help me uh, finish it up I just have one last thing that I would like to say and then we're going to be good to go so it says Suffering brings about perseverance, right, which is focus. Character is being tested through experience. Now that I've gone through that, I've gone through focusing my life, all the temporary things that I thought were really cool and that I needed, they fall away. Now I'm focused on what I really need, God's priorities. Dependence is me making God's priorities my priorities. And now I've experienced that, you know what, actually this really works, This really works. It really transforms me and makes me the person that God wants me to be, like Joseph, like so many other people who have been affected by this. Then lastly, we see it improves our lives. Hope. The word hope here means that God has given us an experience and we know that it works. And so we are resting on something that is solid because of the experiences that we've been through. We are focused, we're tested, and now God works and we are very, very confident in our lives. Psalm 46 says this. It's perfect the way this dovetails in Psalm 46. Look how it begins. God is our refuge and our strength. Left to ourselves, the unlimited capacity of self-deception, we always trust ourselves. We always think we're better than somebody else. We always think we can be good enough to somehow work ourselves into God's good graces. It'll never happen. We trust ourselves. And what does the psalmist say? God is our refuge and our strength. He's an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Now watch this last one. This is really important because we talked about this. Joseph, what is his story? His brothers sell him into slavery. They throw him into a pit, and it's like he's born again when he comes out of that pit. You had a self-centered person who has terrible character. He's like he's born again when God pulls him out of, all out of that pit. He's completely changed, and we'll see that in his life as we continue to move forward. And then we're told this, that God's presence was with him in a mighty way. The same thing that it says in Romans, that God's love is poured out into our hearts, God's presence. Look at this. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. We see the river in a lot of places. It starts in Genesis. There's a river. Jesus talks about a river in John chapter 7, and the entire Bible ends with a river. The river represents God and how God wants to water your life with his presence and make your life fruitful, shape your character and shape your community and shape your competency. What happens with the river? We wanted to go. My family had a great idea that we wanted to go on the Potomac and do a little uh, canoeing or whatever. You know what we didn't do? We didn't get a canoe and put it at the end of our driveway and say, okay, river, Potomac, come here. 
We didn't do that. That's foolish. Rivers don't move. What we had to do is we had to go to the river. We had to adjust to the river. God is a mighty river. He's not moving our way. We have to adjust to his part. We have to move towards him. And I'll conclude with this. John the Baptist had a great saying. His disciples come to him and they say, Hey, John, we have a problem. Everybody's going to Jesus. You're losing all of your followers. Everybody's going to Jesus. And John the Baptist says this. And Jesus says this about John. He says, Of men born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist responds to his disciples this way. He says, He must increase and I must decrease. Some of us this morning are going through some really, really tough times. And I'm sorry for that. I don't rejoice in that. But God is shaping your character. And if you will say, hey, God, like John the Baptist, go ahead, move me. Take the garbage, take the garbage and move me and shape my character. If we relinquish that and say, go ahead, have your way, because I know your way is the best way, God will shape your character and do a mighty thing in your life. And that will have an impact on the community, which is so needed. One of the first ways that we can do that is if God is moving on your heart right now and you have never trusted, you have never depended on Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you've depended on yourself, today is a great day. Right in your seats and say, you know what? I've never done that. Oh, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I'm almost done, brother. Just trust God. Trust God. All right, let's pray, and I'll come right over to you, okay? I'll pray, come right over to you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everybody here. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in every heart and life. Lord, I just ask, God, that we would surrender completely to you in the suffering and the pain, and that you would shape our character for your glory. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.